Good morning. We'd like to welcome you to the Houghton Wesleyan Church as we worship God together. Please stand and join us as we sing his praises together as his people. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. I once was blind. I could not see.
Please be seated. We have the uh, phenomenal privilege today of uh, welcoming Dr. Etef Kalaf, the uh, National Superintendent, General Superintendent of the Wesleyan Church in Egypt. And uh, his son John is a student here at the college. And uh, we are thrilled to have him here with us this morning. He's going to be speaking in the Kaleidoscope Sunday School class uh, the next hour. And I think a number of the other adult classes are joining with them. But uh, it's an opportunity to hear from uh, a leader of the church in a, a difficult place of the world and yet a place in which God is definitely at work. And so we've asked him to share just a few moments this morning. Uh, a greeting and just maybe a little bit about uh, what God is doing there in the church in Egypt and his son John is going to translate. Good morning. We are thankful for the support thing that uh, Pastor Wilson and the uh, pastors have provided for us to share. And we are very thankful for what God has been doing with the church in Egypt. The church in Egypt now is very, very strong. The church also has a big history. Uh, it's been there since Christ have, Jesus Christ has visited. And it, it also started right away after the crucifixion. And the church now is living faithfully and strongly. The Egyptian church is the biggest church in the Middle East. So we have around 3,000 uh, Coptic church. The 
فكنيسة في الميدان فتحت الباب وكانت عاملة مستشفى للمسلمين والمسيحيين. وفي 200 كنيسة اتحرجوا في أيام الثورة. And the year after, we, uh, unfortunately, there was more than 200 churches have been burned. But the people didn't respond with hate, or uh, they, they decided to respond with love. But they actually started to go back to the church that was just a burned place. And start praying again. There was no something to sit on, so they sat on the floor. They didn't have any Bibles left, but they have the scripture memorized. There was no PowerPoint or video projector, but again, they have it memorized. And the rest of the country saw that the Christians didn't receive the suffering with hate response, but they saw that the Christians decided to show love and not to talk negatively about the country and the situation. So a lot of people have seen what is the church like and what Christians like and decided to ask questions and start to go to church and hear more. And we have been blessed by a great relationship with the Egyptian president. So he has two things that makes him unique. So he is the first Egyptian Muslim president that he has visited the church to congratulate at Christmas time. And this is uh, was a sign that he says that I'm supporting this and I'm, I'm, I, I like this people and I support all the time. And, and the military reconstructed all the church, all the 200 churches that have been burned. And uh, last month, uh, we finally get a law that allow us to build churches legally. Because we used to start like just build a building and then we start pray and then the police come and arrest some of them and then until the police is aware that they cannot do anything more. They keep arresting people and people go back. Keep arresting people and people go back. We have uh, 25 Muslim church and we are on the way of building a new church. 
uh, the, the land of the church have been granted by the government and we pray that the church and everywhere is a strong church and we would like to invite you to come and visit the church in Egypt you will see people that have lots of joy even it's a difficult hard uh, difficult circumstances. And you'll see a great people with great face. Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us. There is power in his name, for the stone was rolled away. Mountains bow down before Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Jesus Christ, our risen Lord.
as we continue singing together, children may be dismissed for a children's church and junior church. If faith can move the mountains, let the mountains move. We come with expectation, waiting here for you. Oh
Our scripture this morning is from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 20, starting in verse 7. Patience and suffering. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. The prayer of faith. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. And anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord.
Today is the, uh, it's the beginning of our three-week prayer vigil. And those are just a few glimpses of things that are in the prayer room to help us pray. Uh, ways of, a lot of it has to do with freedom. We've been talking about this whole fall. And uh, Christ setting us free, not only free from, but free to. And we have created as many things as we could think of to, to help us um, experience that. And so I pray that you will be involved. Uh, if you haven't yet signed up, I encourage you to do so. You can sign up this morning in the back foyer, in the other foyer, the Christian Education Building, or anytime, just to access the church website. And um, if you have participated before, uh, you know the, the value of coming together, setting, your, setting apart time um, to, to pray, to experience God in that setting. If you haven't yet experienced it, an hour may seem very overwhelming to you. But almost everyone I talk to says it goes too fast. And uh, it, it's just so many things that God can do in our lives. And one of the things that is, I think has come to me as we've done these prayer vigils over the last few years is it's expanded my understanding of prayer. Because initially, it, you know, prayer was just sitting quietly before God with my eyes closed and often just speaking to God. And as we've gone through this prayer vigil, this expanded my vision of God that prayer can be engaging in activities, and it can be singing, listening to music, certainly listening to God, and a wide variety of things. So there are, there are all kinds of interactive ways to, to be involved in praying through the prayer room, as well as just sitting and listening and speaking to God. And so I, I hope that you'll get involved. And uh, we'll start tonight at 4.30. We'll have just sort of a, a pre-beginning uh, gathering here for about uh, 30, 45 minutes, and uh, we'll sing together. We'll pray together, we'll light candles together, and uh, as a means of, of starting this uh, three-week prayer event. And so I just want to invite you to be a part of this, and if you have any questions about signing up or anything about the vigil itself, just contact, ask me, one of the other pastors, call the church office, and we will help you with that. There are a couple of other uh, announcements in your bulletin. Uh, one of them is, on, there's an insert here. Uh, one's Wednesday, we have a shoebox packing party. This is a, a gathering Wednesday evening at uh, 6.15 to 7.45. A chance to just come together and pack the shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. Spend some time together interacting. And uh, this is for children, youth, uh, whatever age. There are no age brackets to this. It's just all of us come together, intergenerational gathering. And uh, you see some information there about that. On the other side of that, we are hosting a lunch on the 13th for college students. And um, we are inviting college students, grad students to be a part of this. It's just a chance to interact with one another, get to know each other a little bit more, uh, engage our lives together. And uh, often that happens more easily over food than it does other things. And so, so we uh, want to invite you to be a part of that. Uh, and uh, you can contact Paul Shea or any of the staff for more information related to that. If you can indicate to Paul by email uh, that you're planning to attend, that just helps us with the food planning, but we, we just want this to be a chance to, to uh, connect together. I uh, invite you to stand and share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning.
Sometimes life is hard. Maybe more times than we like to admit. And one of the things about the, the difficulty of life is that I think we sometimes forget that being a follower of Jesus is demanding. There, there, it's, a, it's a much more difficult life to choose to live thinking about others than just thinking about ourselves. It's a much more challenging life to respond to, to people who hurt us with love than with hate or vengeance or apathy. It's a much more challenging life to, to trust God when things are not going the way we want them to and He's not doing what we want Him to and know that He could do. It's much more demanding and challenging to trust Him in those moments than to just go our own way. And the reality of the life with Christ is that it is challenging. And I think particularly in the context of of wanting God to do what he says he's going to do. And the waiting for him to do that. I think it's that scenario that we find the people in in the book of James that we just read about this morning, particularly chapter 5. He's writing to the church scattered around the known world. And they are facing a lot of difficult circumstances. Opposition, persecution living countercultural lives to what others are doing. And in the face of that, they are dealing with some severe difficulties. And it's stressful for them. And, and James writes to them to encourage them and to help them. And in the midst of that, he writes to them and he writes to us as we wait for the coming of Christ, as we wait for the day when Christ is going to put all of these things that are not right, right. He's going to bring justice Into the world. He's going to bring his whole gospel, his whole salvation to bear on the world. And we live in a time of between the now and the not yet. And it's difficult to wait sometimes. And yet that's exactly what we're called to do. And James is concerned about how we live while we wait. And a lot of what he writes about here in chapter 5 is how we live related to our words. What we say, because what we say reflects what's in our hearts, what we believe, what's most important to us. And he recognizes that sometimes in this waiting period, we get impatient. Now, I'm guessing that impatience may not be something you wrestle with, but I wrestle with impatience. You just drive a little bit with me and you'll know how much I wrestle with impatience. It's, it's a part of being human. We wrestle with being impatient. We're impatient with each other. We're impatient with God. And in those moments, what comes out of our mouths reflects a lot of what's in our hearts. And he specifically mentions two things that we need to be careful about. One of them is grumbling and complaining. Because when we get impatient, particularly with each other and with God... We start grumbling and we start wondering about why things aren't happening the way we want them to. And we complain and that complaining becomes divisive and it becomes a struggle and, and, it, and it gets under our skin. And pretty soon we, we, we are people who most of our reactions are negative. But he also says we need to be careful about taking oaths. Now that seems to be an odd thing because he says above all, more than anything else, don't swear, don't take oaths. And you think, really, wow, that seems odd. 
But I think it has to do with how our words reflect our hearts and our lives. He's not talking about taking, you know, public oaths. He's not talking about standing in a courtroom and and taking an oath there to tell the truth. I don't think he has a concern about that. What he's saying is how we live our daily lives with each other. Is our is our word so untrustworthy that in order for people to believe us, we have to swear? You know, I, I swear on on someone's grave or to swear on the Bible or, you know, cross my heart and hope to die kind of thing that we should say as kids. Are we so untrustworthy that the only way people will believe us is if we, if we swear some kind of oath? And James is saying, don't, you don't want to live that way. You want to live in such a way that your words mean something, that people believe what you say without you having to add all of that to it. Let your words be true. Even when we're impatient. But then he flips it around. And he says not just about a warning about how we use our words negatively. But he is mostly concerned about how we use our words positively. And the primary thing, the primary thing that we do in using our words positively is that we pray. You get to verse 13 of this fifth chapter. He says, you know, if you're in trouble, pray. If life is going well, then pray your words of thanksgiving to God. If someone is sick, get together and pray. Confess your sins to each other as a means of praying. What he's really saying is turn to God. Because ultimately our prayers are a declaration that whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're going through, only God is the ultimate answer to those needs. And our prayers declare that we believe God is who he says he is. We believe that God keeps his word. We believe that God is involved in our lives. And we believe that praying to God, offering our burdens and our concerns to God, offering our words of thanksgiving to God are the very best thing we can do. Because it reflects our hearts that we believe in God. That we trust him. We trust that he's good and merciful, that he cares about us, that he's involved in our lives, and we pray in faith. To pray in faith doesn't mean that God always does what we want him to do or that we make demands on God. I suspect that often that's not really faith. Maybe the most profound prayer of faith is to pray these big, bold prayers And leave it to God and trust whatever answer he brings. I do find it interesting that when he talks about praying, he moves from sort of a sense of praying for ourselves to praying for each other. And in essence, that's what the church is. That's the nature of the church, that we pray for each other. We care enough about each other that we pray for each other. And he describes the scene, he says, if you're sick... Then get the elders of the church together, anoint with oil, and pray over each other. And God will do what you cannot believe he will do. We pray in faith together. And one of the reasons we need to pray for each other and we gather together to pray for each other is because, quite frankly, sometimes we need the faith of each other to help our faith. 
It's a great story in Mark chapter 2. Jesus just beginning his ministry is in a house. He's teaching. And there are four guys who have a friend who's paralyzed. And they want Jesus to heal their friend. So they carry him on the stretcher to the house. But they can't get in. The place is packed to the gills. So what do they do? They climb up the steps to the flat roof. And they start taking the roof apart. I love being sitting in the crowd down there like, you know, you're doing this. Look, do we, we always had a skylight? Have I not known that we had that skylight? And, and all of a sudden, here comes this guy down, lowered down to Jesus. And what I love about this story is that in verse 5, Mark says to us, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven, and he healed them. It was their faith. I don't know if they, had a, if they had an argument about the guy coming to Jesus or not. But in essence, it seems like they said, look, we're taking you. Whether you believe he can do anything or not, we do. And we're going to take you. And sometimes it's the faith of other people that bolsters our faith. And encourages us. And leads us to healing. And to the prayers that we're seeking. That's really what we want to do this morning. That's what this prayer vigil is really about in many ways. We all spend our time praying either individually or in groups or some form. But what I love about it is, and that's why we encourage everyone to come to the prayer room, is that there is this chain of praying that when one person leaves, the next person goes in and we, in essence, hand our prayers to each other. It's such a... An encouragement to me as I'm sitting outside waiting for, for, for the person to be done. And they open the door and I see them and we sort of exchange our prayers and hand off the baton to each other. And when I leave, the next person's there and we hand the baton to each other. And there is this sense, and I've, I know through the years, I've had people say to me, there is something profound in my mind as I drive by the church or I think about the prayer vigil and I think somebody is there praying right now. And we do it during those three weeks, and we want to do it this morning. And so what we're going to do today is to do what James asks of us. He says, there are needs of the church, then gather together the leaders of the church and pray. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the elders and the pastoral staff to come and stand up here in front of the altar rail. And then I'm going to ask those of you who want to come forward. If you can kneel at the altar rail, do that. If, you, if kneeling is difficult, just come stand or you can sit in the red chairs here. And if you want, we will anoint you with oil. But we want to pray for you. We want to be faith for you. We want to encourage you. We want to join together in the community of the church and pray for each other. And there is great freedom in this because it's not just us praying for ourselves, but it's others praying for us too. And there is great joy in that. And we create this atmosphere of faith and trust. And it's not because our prayers are so awesome. It's because God is awesome. And we believe. As you're sitting there in the pew, we're going to be running scripture passages on the screen encourage you to meditate on those. But let me encourage you to come. Any place along the altar rail, just come and give us the privilege of praying for you, being faith for you. 
Maybe you want to come in, in proxy for someone else who may not be here today, a family member, a friend. Maybe you want to come and pray about the needs, have us pray together about the needs of the world. But just come and let us be the church to you and to each other as we pray together. Just to pray for you, please come now.
Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in faith, again, not because our faith is so great, but because you are awesome and good and merciful. We're being obedient because you call us to pray for each other. Lord, may everyone who has come for prayer today and others who may not have come but have needs, may we all sense you at work. Father, today we pray for uh, all of the burdens that we represent. We pray for all who are struggling with grief and pain. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. We pray for families that are wrestling with life, for relationships that may be fractured or broken. We pray, Father, for the world in which we live. We pray today for the church in Egypt. We pray for Dr. Kalaf and his leadership of the Wesleyan Church there. Thank you for the miracles they have seen. We pray that you would continue to give them faith, protect them in every way, and may the church there continue to bear witness of who you are in ways that break through barriers and break through opposition and struggles. We pray, Father, for uh, Romy Karingale and, and the, the work in Nepal. The, the many churches and people there who are working to help in medical needs as well as other needs. We pray, Father, that you continue to bless the church there. And Father, we pray for refugees throughout the world that you would help to find uh, places of security and you would help them be able to go back home. We pray, Father, for our own nation for the, all the tensions and the ways we are divided among one another. We pray that you would bring healing. As we move toward our, this election, Lord, we pray that you would, you would give to us and to all of your people and churches around the nation a sense of grace and love and compassion, even as we may disagree. But we, we sense your spirit at work and help us to trust you in all that, takes place. Lord, we thank you for the work of your kingdom outside of this church. We pray today for the Freedom Baptist Church and Pastor Downer. Pour out your grace upon them in powerful ways. May they know your peace and your strength. And Father, we pray for the junior and senior high Sunday school classes here in this church. This is an awesome time, an important time for helping our young people to learn the faith and to know what it means to be a follower of you. Bless every leader, every helper, every student. We pray, Father, that your grace would be at work beyond what we could dream or imagine. Father, thank you for what you are doing in this place. We offer our prayers to you in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please stand as we sing together. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent. 
dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way. Good times and bad, you are on 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.